Uh, today we're thinking about uh, wisdom for family life. And I suspect, um, I was thinking back over all the sermons I've preached, rarely have I tiptoed more sort of cautiously into an area um, that one could preach on than when it comes to family life. Neither our experience, nor our emotions, nor our aspirations are ever just mild or moderate when it comes to thinking about family. Our family shapes us and forms us in our infancy for good and for ill, I suspect. It literally, as well as metaphorically, cradles us in our infancy as we grow to understand our place in the world. It can be our model if we want to sort of affirm or match it and learn from its values. Or it can be that retrograde stick-in-the-mud bunch that we want to rebel against in some of our teenage years. As we head into adulthood, family life can be what we aspire to. We aspire to make family the centre of our lives and to make sure it never gets squeezed out by work. Or it can feel like the ball and chain that holds us back. And as life goes on, we can look at family as our proudest achievement or it can be our most crushing disappointment. Family is never just family. Family is never just neutral. It carries with it an enormous emotional punch. So what is it about this aspect of human life that is so, so important to us? How do we understand why it has such an effect on us? And actually, as you'd expect me to be asking in church on a Sunday, what is the Bible got to show us or teach us about family life? Well, let me just remind you where we've got to in our series. We're walking our way through what we've described as wisdom for living. And we're working really hard not simply to do a whole series of um, Richard and Jez's and later on John and Rachel's um, 10 top tips for this particular aspect of life. So I'm aiming not today to pluck out 10 verses from the Bible and say, here are the 10 things you need to know about family life. It's easy. This is all you have to do. The idea is that we're understanding that the Bible works something out in the context of a whole bunch of cultures and contexts over more than three and a half thousand years. But it always does so standing in the same place. It works out wisdom in lots of different contexts, but that basic wisdom, the foundation on which it stands, doesn't change. Like the foundation for a house, we've gone back to Jesus' parable of the, the two builders, one who builds on stone and the other one who builds on sand. Or if you want to change the metaphor to a non-biblical but I hope helpful one, like the keel or the ballast in a boat. That foundation, that keel, helped to keep us steady when the storms of life come away. What does wisdom look like when lived out in family life? What's the Bible got to say to help us to be wise? Well, I want to suggest that a place to start is the same place I started two weeks ago when we were looking at wisdom for work. That's actually the place I go to more often than anything else when I'm looking, trying to look at foundations for things. It sort of makes sense because it's the foundation of the whole Bible. It's the first three or four chapters of Genesis. Now, I'm going to read for you. Um, the, the readings are on the screen there. And if you want to have it open in front of you, please do. Uh, just a few verses from uh, Genesis 1 and then a few verses from Genesis 2. Let's pray as we come to God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, the, the gift of family life. Uh, we thank you for all that uh, these pages of the Bible written over so many years have to show us and tell us 
about uh, the gift and potential of family life and also about its pitfalls and perils. And we want to pray that you would open us up now by your Holy Spirit to hear your wisdom, to apply it well to our lives and to live differently for you because we've been together today. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 1, uh, initially beginning at verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seeds in it, and they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning, the sixth day. And then on to Genesis 2. Verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. And so the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. And so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. And the man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should should be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's all sorts of things we probably need to say just by um, way of very quick introduction to all of that. The first is to understand a little bit about what Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 are doing. If you read Genesis 1 and then Genesis 2, what you'll see is that Genesis 1 is a sort of standalone poetry of creation. This beautiful day-by-day imagining of uh, the God whom we know has made all things and his purposes and his intent and his power. And then it's as if the writer then decides to zoom in on one particular part of that creation and say, well, what do we need to understand about what God intended for human beings? And Genesis 2 and 3 do that sort of zooming in, take it from a different angle and write that poetry all over again. How has God made human beings? Why is he made male and female? What is their intended relationship with one another? And how does that affect the world in which they live? And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, though it's worth just mentioning again today in case anybody missed it, and I don't want it to trip anybody up, that the word for helper that describes the woman is not an underling word. It's not a hierarchical word for helper. What it is, it's a partnership word. In fact, it's a word used of God in the Psalms, so it definitely doesn't mean a subordinate. What it means is a partnership, a complementarity, a working together. So what can we see from Genesis 1 and 2, 3, but actually onwards into the rest of the Bible about family life? In the end, I think it's very simple, that the wisdom of God for family life comes in three bits. The first part of that wisdom is simply to say that family is God's idea. God's gift. 
something human beings need that they can bring great blessing, God's gift. But secondly, that the scriptures are bluntly, unsqueamishly realistic about how that gift can and does go wrong, or is sometimes, for some of us at times in life, simply absent, and how that affects us. But that thirdly, all of family life, at its best and at its worst, is simply a taste of something even richer, even greater, even more important, even more deeply needed for each of us. And that is to know the offer of being adopted into God's big family that stretches backwards and forwards in history and around the globe. That human biological family life is a taste of the riches of God's big family that we're all invited to belong to because of Jesus. So the gift of family life, the perils of family life, but also the richness of belonging to God's big family. Now, between those three, we could be here for the next 10 Sundays, but we've just got about 15 minutes to do all of those. So I'm just going to skittle my way through them and let's see where, see where we go with them. Perhaps the easiest to talk about in fact and the hardest to talk about emotionally is the first one, that family life is God's great gift to human beings. I say it's hard emotionally because even as we hear the potential of family life, there's not a single person in this room who won't have some point of pain when we realise our experience isn't that. For some of us, it will be the great pain that we carry through life. For others of us, perhaps, we'll have experienced more of the riches of family than its pain, but none of us are immune to it. And yet we shouldn't rush past it too quickly. We shouldn't miss this huge gift, the, the tremendous glory of what's just begun to be painted out here. The first gift of family life is the gift of equality and difference. Be equal and yet different. We see it in Genesis 1, 2 and 3 of male and female, but elsewhere in scripture we see about young and old. There is this sense in which family life is intended to give us the experience of simply the givenness of other human beings that are different from us, that at times are just glorious to us and we are enamoured with them and, and in love with them and appreciate them and look up to them and, and, and are sort of enriched by them and at other times find them unbelievably annoying, frustrating, cross-making, difficult, destructive. People are different from us. Uh, somebody once said, you know, you, you can choose your friends but you can't choose your family. Well, actually, that's almost the whole point of family that actually we don't get to choose the people we're related to. We just don't, for the most part. Even in the beautiful thing that is adoption, there is always that sense of not knowing what the future will hold. You choose to love without knowing the wholeness of somebody. Family life puts us alongside people who are different from us. And God knows we need that discipline. Because otherwise most of us would choose, let's face it, to be with people that we like all the time. To be with people who are as like us as possible, or at least won't drive us up the wall as much as possible. And actually in the Bible, the, the, the picture is even wider than we imagine. We're thinking nuclear family, I suspect. We're thinking the people who live in our household, if we're not living alone. But actually the Bible spreads the net far wider, because in the cultures in which the Bible was formed, family meant family. 
grandparents, aunts, uncles, cousins, first, second, third times removed. Family was a big, big, wide, all-encompassing world. Many of those people would live in the same house, but even if they didn't, you had a strong sense of belonging, of family. And at its best, family can be a hugely important part of learning to be human, of loving and being loved, of belonging to people we wouldn't choose to belong to and who maybe wouldn't choose to belong to us. It's a huge gift. But family is also given as a gift in which what is described in Genesis 1 as fruitfulness and multiplication has the potential to happen. I don't know whether you've ever wondered why it was that Jesus didn't just appear. Uh, If you've ever been through the whole process, um, not as the child, but as the parent or the grandparent or the aunt or uncle or cousin or godparent of watching or being part of pregnancy and birth, surely it will have crossed your mind at some point, or it might cross your mind, to think, given that God had a choice, presumably, how Jesus would appear, why would he go through all of that? Why go through all the difficulties and the uncertainties and the trauma and the pain and the, the, the difficulties of being born and then of having to grow up in a family? And if you read the beginning of, one, of Luke's Gospel, you actually find uh, Jesus, it's the only little snapshot we have Jesus' um, family life and the only moment that we actually catch a glimpse or hear a few words of Jesus and his parents before he's an adult or when he's arguing with them. You know, the Bible isn't squeamish about showing us that family life is difficult. Why would Jesus need to actually be born into a family, a real earthly family? Because that's what families were meant to be able to do. That actually that was the context in which children were meant to get their start. Even Jesus needed to start that way. It was that important. One final little bit of this gift, if we're looking at a diamond, it's just one more facet, there's about a thousand more, is that that the families were given as a gift to us to be the context for care for one another. If you read your way through the Old Testament, for example, and look at the picture of community life that it paints for us, time and again, it just assumes that the elderly, the sick, the young, the vulnerable, the vulnerable, should assume that their first port of call to be cared for would be their family. And in fact, it reserves its greatest concern and its sort of most pointed um, picture of you need to look after these people for what it calls the widows and the orphans. Shorthand for those who don't have around them that family to care for. Time and again, the Bible paints a picture that family is given as a gift, as a place of care. place of equality and difference, a place of fruitful multiplication, a place of compassionate care. Now, I've said at the beginning, I'm going to say it right now, we all know that no family manages all of those things, let alone all the other facets of the beautiful diamond that is family life all the time. And some of our families feel like they've never managed any of those at all, ever. But that doesn't take away the potential a family. Nor does it take away that nudge in the ribs that we maybe need to hear from the scriptures today, not to forget to be grateful for the gift, where it has been a gift to us of family life. Maybe the simple thing to take away from today is to where you're able to and where it's appropriate to be able to say thank you to God 
for what you have experienced of family life that has been good and life-giving. But, but, as I said at the beginning, the Bible is also unsqueamishly blunt about the reality of how family life can be and of the effect of its absence too. It starts very early, Genesis 3, right there, back at the beginning. The very first sin, that sense of turning our backs on God, happens in a family. It's not just one individual, it happens with Adam and Eve. Then if you turn over the page, uh, you find in page 6, chapter 4 of Genesis, for the very first murder is brother on brother. This is a, that's as close and as awful as it gets. The very first murder. And then from Genesis 5 onwards, you have the story um, of uh, Noah and his family. And on the face of it, you think, well, this is great. Noah and his family are rescued. So yes, the gift of family of belonging. But as soon as the ark has landed on Mount Ararat and they come out, sin has a foothold straight away. And it happens in the context of family life. Now, you could pick any sorts of examples as you go through the Old Testament and the New Testament. You have Moses, who's effectively brought up as an adopted orphan. You've got Samuel, who serves a high priest whose children have utterly kicked over the traces of what it means to serve the God who loved them and rescued them. You've got King David, the greatest king of all ancient Israel's history, whose descendants have brothers who regularly and almost as a matter of course set up kingdoms against one another and once again murder one another and betray one another. Family life is hardly painted with a sort of a pink rosy glow around it. If you read the Psalms, if you read the book of Job, and even as you get onto the Gospels, you find time and again the Bible willing to point the camera at the reality of family life gone wrong. How it damages people, how its absence breaks hearts, of how it lets us down, and disappoints us. And on one level, we need to actually recognise the reason it's so hurtful is because of the incredible gift we sort of at a gut level know it should be. That's why our hurt from family hurts so much more than from anywhere else, doesn't it? Because we expect, rightly, so much more from family life. Even Jesus is misunderstood by his family. There's this on one level, very funny because they get it so wrong, but another level, heartbreaking moment where Jesus is preaching to the crowds and his family basically come to take him in hand. You know, they're sort of, oh, do you know, he's really lost it now. He just needs to come home, calm down, have a think, it'll be fine. Just come home, Jesus. And at that point, Jesus actually has to turn his back on his family and say, do you know, who is my mother? Who are my brothers and my sisters? It's all of those who follow God. He's giving us a glimpse into what we're going to go on to next. But he's also having to say to us, family life isn't just straightforward. Some of the wisdom that we need as we follow God in our family lives is to be able to walk unblinkingly into the honest reality that family life is difficult. And not to think that somehow when family life is less than perfect, God isn't interested. I am absolutely convinced that more Christians spend more of their time trying to cover up the cracks in family life, I can't even believe I'm saying this phrase, from God, who knows all, than anything else. We are more ashamed of, we are more embarrassed about, we are more distressed by family life and its cracks than maybe anything else. And yet God knows that's how they are. 
He knows the beauty of the gift he's given us. He knows sometimes the disaster. Actually, in Jesus, he knows it personally of how family life is difficult. And at the same time as wanting, therefore, to challenge us to come with gratitude to God, please, let's hear this call to come with honesty and realism. To the God who already, as I said at the beginning of the service, knows the worst of us and our families and loves us as we are. God isn't just standing there, you know, metaphorically with his arms folded, tapping his foot, saying, sort it out. What a disaster. He's there with broken hearts, with tears, with hands of compassionate love, but also wanting us to know a bit more of the joy of what it means to belong and to be loved. There's no point pretending with God. He knows and he loves. But there's something more. And that is that biological family life, the human life of belonging, of loving, of of knowing and of being known, of fruitfulness and multiplication, is meant as well as being a brilliant, beautiful, awesome gift to us right here, right now, is meant as well to give us a taste of something more. Now, that's actually true of every good gift God gives us. If you want a little principle to take away from here to apply to pretty much every page of the Bible, every time God gives his people a physical gift, it it, it does two things. It is both an actual gift right there in the present. It's a good thing to be enjoyed and to be given thanks for and to to be luxuriated into and to be generous with to others. But it is also always, and without exception, a pointing beyond itself to God's bigger gifts, the gifts that will last beyond this life into the life to come. That's true of everything. It doesn't matter where you look. And it's certainly true of family life. Because God's promise to us is not simply that if we're lucky enough and and have that experience enough that we might get something of the taste of belonging to a biological family. But even more than that, that if you are willing, if you respond to his invitation, if you open up your heart to the gift... He wants to adopt you, because of Jesus, into the great, big family of God. A family that, as I said at the beginning, stretches back and forwards through history all the way around this globe. Men and women, adults and children of every race and tribe and background and future, we get to belong. It's there um, throughout the Bible, uh, but becomes particularly a sort of... um, expressed and explicit in the New Testament. As Jesus talks about his heavenly father, as he talks about um, the gift of love that God is giving through him. And as Paul picks that up, particularly some of you will know in Romans chapter 8, one of Paul's letters uh, to the Christians in Rome. And if you read in chapter 8, he talks about the gift of being adopted into God's family. That as God's spirit fills us, he is the spirit of adoption. And that actually you get to belong and you get to have a whole family of brothers and sisters, many of whom you've never met. Many of whom you won't like. Some of whom will be like you, others of whom will be more different to you than it is possible to imagine. But all of whom are equally loved and precious to God and all of whom have something to give to you and to your life, but also to whom you have something to give. It is the greatest of gifts that Jesus comes to bring us. That because he lived the life we couldn't live ourselves, because he died the death we must not face alone, he rose to give us a new life of belonging to God's big family. So I've got family members that I've met 
in Kenya. I've got family members that I've met in Hungary. I've got family members that I've met in South America, in North America. I've got family members that I've met um, in China and Japan. I've got a family member I've met who lives in Mongolia. I've got family members all around the world that I've never met. But we belong. Why? Because of our Heavenly Father, who has adopted us and says, I love you. I want to give you these great gifts. The same gifts, but even more so, that human family life gives. The gift of difference and equality. The gift of multiplication. Because actually Christians are meant to beget more Christians. I don't mean biologically. I mean by passing on the good news, by inviting to belong to the family. That's why something like Alpha is so important, because we get to invite people to hear a little bit more of what it means and looks like to belong to God's family. How will people know unless we tell them? How will people have an invitation to respond to unless we invite them? We get to belong. Well, why shouldn't everybody get to belong? And also the context, and this is important, in which we care and have compassion for other members of God's family who haven't got the great gifts that we have in this part of the world. Do you know that you belong to God's big family? Are you grateful for that gift? Are you passing it on? Are you determined to serve and to care for other members of God's family, even if you don't particularly like them, appreciate them, if they make you uncomfortable? And for that matter, is there something in the life of family in this world that you're able to give thanks for today? Or maybe higher up in your heart on this particular day, is there something you need to be honest and real with God about in your experience of family? Knowing he will never turn you away and knowing that he wants to give you more than anything else. The knowledge and the experience of being loved and of belonging far beyond even what your biological family can or can't give you. Let's pause for a moment. I'm going to ask uh, Jez and the band to come up just as we pause in quiet. I'm going to pray very simply uh, a threefold prayer, just picking up what we've talked about. And if any of this part of this prayer uh, are ones that you would identify with, why don't you just echo them quietly in your heart? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the great gifts of belonging to a family on this earth. I thank you for the way things it's taught me about equality and difference of living alongside and loving those that are different from me. Thank you for children who are being born into families and for the nurture and care that they and others receive. But I also confess to you and tell you honestly that family life is difficult that there are times when it breaks my heart. There are times when I feel on the outside, when I feel lonely or just let down. And I thank you that you love me just the same and you never turn away. And most of all, I thank you for the gift in Jesus of belonging to your great, big family of God. And I pray that as I'm receiving that gift myself, you would give me both the courage and the motivation to tell others and invite them to be adopted to. In Jesus' name. Amen.